You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from the series, Glorious Design. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you guys um, are here with us today. We kick off a new series that will run through the month of February called Glorious Design. Glorious Design, where we're going to um, look at the issues of gender identity, marriage, and human sexuality through the lens of the gospel, uh, through what we believe is, is God's beautiful, given, and truthful word to us in Scripture. Before we jump in this morning, though, I want to make you aware of just a few things by way of announcements. Uh, one, home groups, uh, sermon-based discussion groups, typically or specifically this month around um, this series kick off this week. Uh, you still have time to sign up. Uh, for those, I really encourage you to do so. I think there are three or four or five uh, different nights, different places, but uh, this is a, a great a way and a great place and a great time to be sitting in a room with other brothers and sisters in Christ, um, dialoguing around Scripture about this issue that has been at the forefront of our culture uh, for many years now and increasingly so year by year. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to have to cough and clear my throat this morning. I've been battling with sickness all week, so I'm just going to do that. Thank you, John. <coughs> yeah, I'm just going to do that and, and roll on and apologize right now for however many times I have to do that. Second, for those of you that are covenant members, we have uh, a members meeting coming up in a couple of weeks, February 19th from five to six. We wanna ask you to put that on your calendar, be here for that. There is childcare provided. Um, last thing this morning, there is an interest meeting for our uh, international uh, mission trip, global mission trip to Orchard or with Orchard Africa in South Africa. Uh, the last Sunday, I guess, of this month, February 22nd. That's immediately following uh, the service. I assume there will be lunch. Uh, I think there's lunch provided and childcare provided. So if you're interested um, in going with us this summer, I think it's late July, um, to South Africa uh, to be there, hands and feet on the ground, working with South Africa, uh, with Orchard Africa in South Africa and surrounding countries with some of the gospel-centered um, development work they do. Come to that interest meeting, plan on coming, uh, and hearing more about that on the 26th. All right, let's jump in this morning. And I want to say this morning will roughly be guided by three questions. Three questions. Where are we? Where are we specifically in terms of a, a wider culture this morning? Where are we? How did we get here? And how is it that we, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, live in this particular cultural moment in time? I want to say as we start out, there's a great quote from Rick Warren that came out a few years ago. Specifically, I believe it was following the Supreme Court's decision to legalize um, same-sex marriage in our nation. And Warren said this, he said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. First is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise conviction to be compassionate. Rick Warren is absolutely right. Absolutely right. And so I want to put that out there as guardrails this morning for the next four weeks to say that, that it is a lie to say that for uh, you to disagree with the way that someone lives their lives or makes their choices means that you must fear or hate them. It's absolutely not true. Uh, so not true. It's sophomoric and juvenile um, at its root. Also, also, it is not true that if you love someone, you have to agree with everything they believe or do. I mean, we know this at a basic level, don't we? Any of you have a spouse or children or parents that you ever loved but disagreed with something that they did or said? We in my house have all done that before breakfast on a given school morning, right? So we know this. 
But because what we'll be talking about over the next four weeks is so emotionally charged, and because there is such a massive, massive industry behind it in our nation, carving out new worldviews to teach us, to teach our children and our grandchildren, where it displaces a biblical Christ-centered worldview with a brand new one, we sometimes forget these basic truths that Warren reminded us of. Now, um, let me go ahead and read. Let's do this. Let's read Matthew 16, two verses, two verses from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, that speak to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower, someone who is living and learning and loving the way of Jesus through faith in him by God's grace, having had our sins, past, present, and future forgiven and having been given new life in Christ. Jesus explains to us what this looks like. Verse 24 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, anyone, doesn't matter race, doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter how much money you have or power or influence or affluence, this is what it means. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Self-denial, sacrifice, and individual pursuit of Jesus as Lord. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus is very honest there about what it means that to be a follower of Christ, to be swept into redemption and truth and new life and beauty and transformation by God's grace through faith in Christ necessarily involves that we deny ourselves, that there are aspects of who we are, there are aspects of our brokenness and our desires and our pursuits and our hungers that are out of line with truth, that are rebellious toward God. All of us are made this way. That's the reason the great 20th century theologian, pastor, and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, through that death is new life, just as through Christ's crucifixion on the cross came his resurrection. Keep this in the back of your mind because it is foundational for what it means to follow Jesus. So, where are we? I want to read to you, I will not comment probably, but simply read a number of headlines that I just grabbed and, and saved from just the past few weeks. All of these come from the past two or three weeks uh, in general, from general news outlets. Here we go. Also, I will be reading a good bit this morning, so just tune in and listen. Some of what I'm reading will be on the screen, some will not. All of it eventually um, will be on uh, the sermon notes page for today in the app, as well as some other resources. Uh, but I didn't want it all this morning. I want you listening. All right, here we go with some headlines to give you an idea of where we are. A transgender woman was charged with three counts of indecent exposure after women complained of a naked man walking around in the women's locker room of a YMCA. If you've been in the locker room of a YMCA, I cannot speak for the women's side, but I can say for the men's side, there is in general far too much nudity going on in there. And it seems that the more tenured in age we are, the freer we feel to strut about in there in the buff. I won't comment on the rest of them. Utah's Republican Governor Spencer Cox on Saturday signed a bill banning minors from receiving gender-affirming surgery unless they've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. A Nebraska Democrat was accused of anti-religious bigotry after introducing a bill to ban children from attending church youth groups in response to Republican attempts to ban minors from drag shows. 
The Milwaukee Bucks hosted Pride Night festivities on Wednesday, but it was the drag show at halftime that appeared to spark the most reaction on social media. A non-binary California teacher admitted to socially transitioning students without parents' knowledge in an interview with the New York Times. A Pennsylvania state senator sponsored a, quote, queer room event with Planned Parenthood, which featured a drag queen show for minors, a, quote, rainbow room, and a goodie bag filled with condoms and lube. The DeSantis administration in Florida filed a formal legal complaint against an Orlando venue for illegally exposing young children to lewd activity during a Christmas drag show. Could you have imagined these headlines? And these are just some of the ones I could read in here this morning. These headlines, commonplace. Every day, every two days, they are filling news outlets. You could not have imagined this 10 years ago, certainly not 20 or 30. We are living in a strange new world. To pull a phrase from church historian and theologian Carl Truman. You can understand it a little bit like this when you think about where we are right now. 50 years ago, if a man goes to the doctor and he tells his doctor, I feel like I am a woman trapped in a man's body. The doctor will say that's a problem. It's a problem of the mind, and we need to bring the mind into alignment with the body. Today, if a man goes to a doctor and says, I feel like I am a woman trapped in a man's body, the doctor will say that's a problem. It's a problem with your body. We need to bring your body into alignment with your mind. That's quite a change in 50 years. And I would add before that all of the rest of human history. But this is where we live, not only now for a man or a woman, but for a 10-year-old or 12-year-old. Any of you had 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds? I, I, we have children. Their brains are so underdeveloped that it's hard to describe. They develop more and more and more, and over the last 30 to 40 years, we've come to understand that they don't finish developing until the mid-20s. And yet, we have a growing number of doctors and practices, lobbyists, advocates, uh, advocacy groups, and activists that have no problem with physically and sexually altering a child who may think the next day that he's Batman. And I'm not trying to minimize the seriousness with which some people wrestle with this. But it does not help someone to enter into a state of confusion or delusion and affirm whatever it is that they're thinking. Carl Truman, in a book that I could not recommend more highly to you called A Strange New World. It is a, um, a rather condensed version of his greater work that came out in 2020, uh, The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self. Uh, Truman uh, is, is probably the, the greatest, clearest voice on where we are and how we got here. Um, if you are a serious reader and seriously want to get your arms around what's happening, I would uh, recommend to you The Rise and triumph of modern self. It's, uh, it's at the end of sermon notes. You can click on that link and check it out. Uh, if you're not into 400 plus page books um, that are serious about that, I really encourage you to buy the shorter and updated version, um, A Strange New World, where he simplifies um, the truth of that and explains. But let me give you a little bit from Truman here that I think will hit you not just intellectually, but emotionally where you live in head and heart. Truman says, for many people, the Western world 
in which we now live has a profoundly confusing and often disturbing quality to it. Can I, no force here, wherever you are is fine, but if, that's, if you would agree with that statement that the Western world in which we now live has a profoundly confusing and disturbing quality to it, would you just raise your hands? Let me see kind of where we are. Yeah, that, that's almost everybody, young and old, inside the church and outside the church. There is a, to grab a quote from a sermon by Alistair Begg in, ni- in the early 1990s, uh, we have a confused culture and a compromised church. Things, Truman says, things once regarded as obvious and unassailable virtues have in recent years been subject to vigorous criticism and even, in some cases, have come to be seen by many as more akin to vices. Indeed, it can seem as if things that almost everybody believed as unquestioned orthodoxy the day before yesterday, that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, for example, are now regarded as heresies advocated only by the dangerous lunatic fringe. Uh, I remember some weeks ago, some of you may have seen this, watching uh, a legislative exchange on the House floor during some hearings between uh, a number of members of Congress and a couple of individuals trying to get to the bottom of whether or not men could have babies. And the representatives were simply asking the ideologues and activists that were there if they could simply explain to them how that's a possibility. And I thought, oh my God, God, where, where, where did we get here. How did we get here? This is where we are, though, church. This is the time, if you trust Scripture, that God and His sovereign providence has ordained for you and me to live together as the presence and power of Christ, not huddled in closets or on streets screaming at people, but living out the truth and love of a Savior that says every human being is made in my image. A Savior who loves every man and woman regardless of ideology and struggle. Truman continues, and I think this will hit some of you where you live. Parents teaching their family traditional views of sex find themselves met with incomprehension by their children who have absorbed far different views from the culture around them. What a parent considers to be a loving response to a child struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. And I will define, I know some of you are like, I don't even know what half this stuff means. Some of it, I'm not sure anyone does. But a good part of it is definable, and we'll define that and leave that in the sermon notes week by week so you can go back and refer to it. Struggling with gender dysphoria might be regarded by the child as hateful and bigoted. Let me, let me um, read that again. What a parent considers to be a loving response to a child struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria might be regarded by the child as hateful and bigoted. When Truman was asked about the overwhelming response to his 2020 work, The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self, uh, and, and why it is that he, he was able to so clearly see where we are. And I will tell you this, uh, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has a way of raising up a chorus of central voices at any time in the church's history to be under his sovereign guidance, sort of guiding lights for the church. And I'll give you some of those individuals toward the end of the message here. Uh, Carl Truman certainly seems to be one of those to say, hey, was it affirming the overwhelming response that you are actually able to see so clearly what so many of us are struggling to grasp? He said, sure. But he said, the most heartbreaking responses, and I got thousands, were from families who the, the hyper-individualistic sexuality and expressiveness of the last number of years growing and growing has just ripped their family apart. 
rip their family apart. Now, don't miss this last one from Truman right now, because this gets at the heart of where we are right now. The modern self, and when he says the modern self, he means uh, you and I as individual self-expressed beings who have personhood given by God, the way that we understand who we are and where we find our identity, the modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Such a self is defined by what is called expressive individualism. What Truman is saying here is the place where we find ourselves now is a place where across our culture, what I feel internally is the ultimate authority. What I feel internally is more authoritative than my physical body. It's more authoritative than your God or your faith. It's more authoritative right now than the laws. That's why we're seeking to change the laws, to bring them into conformance with what I feel and what people like me may feel. It's more authoritative about my identity than what my dad says I am or what my grandparents say I am or what my tribe or culture has said I am because now I can get online and I can connect with all kinds of other people who feel the same way that I feel and we're, we're building a, a community, an authoritative community around it that is actively seeking to subvert the institutions that are necessary for a stable society. We don't need those. I don't need my nation to help define me. I don't need the educational system to help define me. I don't need the church to help define me. I don't need my family to help define me. My feelings are what's authoritative. And these other elements in my life are only, are only worth existing as they do to the degree that they will, as Carl Truman says here, both recognize and affirm the behavior that must flow out of the way I feel for me to be who I am, for me to be an authentic self. Church, this is where we live. This is where we live. This is why to disagree with someone now is to find yourself on the receiving end of vitriol and hateful language because you're not just disagreeing with something that they might do or believe. You're disagreeing with what they consider central to their personhood, their identity. So they see that as a violent attack on them. And more and more and more so, slowly and carefully over decades of political progression through the schools, through the universities, through the courts and the legal systems, they're winning this battle of ideas and thoughts. Tim Chalice makes this observation. You can't read the news. You can't scroll through Twitter. You can't browse a bookstore. You probably can't even talk to a neighbor without realizing that somehow everything, everything has become about race, gender, and identity. In a short period of time, we've been introduced to a whole new vocabulary that conveys a whole new set of ideas. We've been told that language can be violent and that the sciences need to be decolonized. We've been told that there is no such thing as biological sex and that white people are intrinsically racist. We've been told that gender is fluid and that embracing obesity is healthy. Such ideas have very quickly become fixed in the popular mind as unassailable truths so that the strongest labels must be assigned to those who dissent in any way. Labels like transphobic, bigot, hater, racist, white supremacist. This is where we are. This is where we are. Now, I want to say this. As confusing as it can be, as much as we're called to live Christ's presence in the current environment we're in, it would be less shattering to us if we hadn't in confusion 
and a failure to be truly biblical people come to believe as Protestants and especially evangelicals that we own this nation, that this nation was a Protestant nation, an evangelical nation. There's nothing from church history and certainly nothing in the New Testament that would ever give a hint of that kind of reality ever being anywhere in the world. And so what we're seeing now is that we never owned the nation and we're struggling to figure out how to be the church in captivity, the church in a foreign land. There I have good news for you because as I've said in the past number of weeks, we have exceptionally good spiritual muscle memory for this. This is who we're designed to be. But we have to begin releasing this idea that God's primary concern for us as Christians is to shape the culture. It's not. God's primary design for us as Christians is to give glory to God and to be the worshiping church and let him use our worshiping community defined by truth and love as a witness to our neighbors and to the culture around us. So if we can let go of that unbiblical idea and embrace the very biblical idea that we actually exist as a counterculture for the common good. Get our eyes back on the church, back on being the church, we begin to rediscover hope in the form of the power and the beauty and the truth of the historic gospel. So this is, this is, where, we, this is where we are. And we know it. We know that it's very difficult to have a conversation. I told Jake the other day, I'm struggling to exist in a world where you can't have banter, right? I'm built for banter. I mean, this is, this is how I work. I was, I don't look like it yet, but I just started back, right? So I was doing a CrossFit workout the other day and it was just the coach and me. And I was like, ah, oh, come on, loser, get up. And she's like, you've got to work on your self-talk. I'm like, be quiet, this is what works for me. I respond to sarcasm and criticism. I like it. Sharon tells me that's not normal. Right? But there's something that's grabbed a hold of us, and we know that we are in a sense in a far land. And you've heard me say, and I will say again, it is unsustainable. I don't know what that looks like. It will fall because it is built on a foundation that is not true. The question is whether it will fall and take all of the Western societies with it who bought into it by crumbling all of our institutions from the nuclear traditional marriage to school systems, forms of government, and everything else. I don't know. And I thank God that our hope, our great hope is not in a form of government or a particular nation. This is where we are. So how do we get here? How do we get here? Now, before we move on and answer how we got here, look at that. I want to go back and I want to read again what Jesus said with this stuff that we just covered as the backdrop. Jesus said what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For anyone, for anyone, is that we must deny ourselves. Matthew 16, 24. We must deny ourselves. Take up our cross. The cross for Jesus was that symbol of obedience unto death, even humiliation and rejection for the calling that God the Father had for him and that Jesus gladly received on your behalf and mine. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his or her life will lose it, and whoever loses their life because of me will find it. Right away you see that at the heart of the gospel, what it means to follow Jesus is an absolute contradiction with this idea that um, my inner feelings are the most authoritative thing about me and in my life. The truth for all of us is when it comes to issues of gender and sexuality, we are all broken in these areas, every single one of us. Whether you experience uh, uh, only same-sex attraction or only other sex attraction, or whether you experience either or both to different degrees, we are all broken. 
sexually. We are all broken in terms of our gender, in terms of what it means to be a man created by God to reflect him in that unique way or a woman created by God to reflect him in that unique way. And there is hope for all of us in this. A few words about how we got to the point where we are today. Um, Here are just a a few key points, and they're not as difficult as they sound, um, to understand the culture around us. And again, this is a culture where uh, where inner feelings now trump all forms of external authority. And as one who is prone from time to time to getting stopped by the police— that's the only place where I've found that this might be helpful. I only felt like I was going 45. My radar gun said you were going 105. I don't recognize that as authority because it didn't feel that fast to me, right? Or maybe as a postgraduate student with scholarships, these are only available for females of color. I identify, surprisingly as it sounds, as a female of color right now. See, this breaks down at, at any point where logic and reason is brought to bear on it. All right, three points, how we got here. Um, kind of step one has been the psychologization, you don't have to worry about spelling that word, the psychologization of self. This idea that you are who you feel you are, right? You are who you feel you are. And that's all that you are. You are who you feel that you are. Your family has nothing to say about it. School has nothing to say about it. Your country has nothing to say about it. Your church has nothing to say about it. You are who you feel you are. The psychologization of self, right? And from there, Step two is the sexualization of psychology, the sexualization of psychology, which says that supremely you are who you are sexually, right? You are who you feel you are, and the most important thing around which you feel is your sexuality. So you are supremely who you feel you are sexually, I can feel like I'm this and feel like I'm this and feel like I'm this, but what I feel about myself sexually and how I want to express that is what is most true about me. And third is the politicization, politicization of psychology and sexuality, which naturally follows the other two, right? Because when you are who you feel you are, that means that is your identity. Your feelings become your identity. And when your sexuality is the supreme thing that defines your identity, then for you to be protected, for you to get to express yourself any way you want to, you then have to be politicized. You have to be brought into a category of people and laws have to be changed so that you can go to whatever bathroom you feel like, regardless of who is in there. So that you can sleep with whoever you want to, regardless of age range or other Uh, what they would consider culturally or religiously constructed restraints. Legally enforced legitimization. I can't get the word out. Legitimization. Legally enforced legitimization. And this is where we are now. We're seeing this play out all across the land where we're seeing battles start uh, to erupt in our courts over what you cannot say, and what you must say. This is a new place for us because at the, at the very core of Western civilization is this, uh, this core value of freedom of speech. But when speech can be deemed violent, because to disagree with me is to attack who I am, not just what I think or what I feel, then free speech must be limited legally so that by law you're required to refer to me in certain ways. And by law you're prohibited to say certain things. You'll see as you read this, and in the sermon notes section on the app, 
I put a brief, uh, I, I decided not to comment on it here because I don't want everybody going to sleep. But the, the, the recent history of this flows back to romanticism and thinkers that many of you might have encountered in school, like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, all the way through uh, Frederick Nietzsche, Freud, and others, Marx. And, and you can kind of read, I just, I, I boiled it down to a basic sentence or two synopsis of each one that's in the sermon notes section where you can look. That's all been building to this place where we find ourselves now. In the 1980s, coming out of the 60s and the 70s, how many of you, like you were old enough living in the 60s and 70s to remember them? Very good. All right. The 60s and the 70s, America just cut loose, right? Lost our mind, make love, not war. Um, out of that came a, a lot of brutal consequences with regard to the family, with health. Um, we saw the stigmatization uh, of homosexuality and, and the gay community and culture, especially as HIV and AIDS grew rampant in that culture. And in the 80s, um, I, I don't have time to, to bring the quotes. I may throw them in the app now, but in the 80s, the gay lobby at that time decided we've got to take a different, a different approach here. And there was an article in the, the New York Times or Washington Post um, in the 80s that actually, or early 90s, when they were looking at uh, um, being gay in the military, right? You guys remember that battle when that was going on? Um, I had just gotten in the, in the military. So it was... Um, you know, can you be openly gay in the military? And it was so interesting to, to read some of the writings of uh, gay activists saying, look, we, we knew that we couldn't gain a foothold in the wider culture, you know, by, by promoting men in black leather and chains. But if we could say, why can't a United States Marine with a crew cut haircut who served honorably for his nation why can't men who are willing to stand up and be counted, why can't they be open about their sexuality? We thought, that'll resonate with Americans. We can win this battle, and they did win that battle. And it's been systematic and consistent ever since, and it gets ever stronger and ever wider, ever stronger and ever wider. I remember the voices saying, as um, the Supreme Court legalized so-called same-sex marriage, voices saying, this is just the beginning. And I think we've seen that was just the beginning. We are, we are out in lands now where you really do need a new dictionary every few weeks to find out what they have come up with in terms of phrases. Now, the 1980s was, was when they systematically, and when I say they, I'm talking about the activists and the lobbyists behind the ideology and the agenda. Never confuse, never confuse your family member or your coworker or your neighbor who is struggling with gender confusion issues, who is struggling with transgender issues, who is struggling uh, with same-sex attraction and what that means for their identity, what it may mean for them as followers of Christ, if they're Christians, never confuse them with the activists, the lobbyists, the ideology and agenda. That's two, two different realities there. The vast majority of people that you're going to know and love have, have no part in this wider thing. This thing up here, that's what we're doing this morning. We're doing the 30,000 foot thing because it matters, right? It matters. But this is a political, legal worldview battle for our nation, for our families, for our kids. Let me illustrate it this way. One, I'll just say real quickly what a worldview is, right? Um, a worldview is, is simply a, a belief system or perspective on reality that makes sense of the world for you, right? And all worldviews, all worldviews views have at a minimum these three elements, creation, fall, and response or um, solution, resolution, right? Whether it is Islam, Buddhism, secular humanism, Whatever it is, Scientology, they're all going to have these aspects, right, of it. So we as Christians should have a biblical worldview shaped by Scripture. Um, but let me, let me share just by way of illustrating this issue of creating new worldviews to train our children in from elementary school on. 
And it was in, it was in approved curriculum, because everything starts on the coasts, in California in the, in the 90s, in middle school and even in elementary school, where elementary school children would have to, for certain grade projects, act out a gay lifestyle and be graded on how well they could act out a gay lifestyle or gay family agenda. So this has been coming for decades and decades. But in a, a book that came out in 2018 by Ann Travers um, called The Trans Generation, The Trans Generation, I want you to look at, I think we've got a picture of it up here, yeah. Um, look at the subtitle, how trans kids and their parents, of course their parents, kids, like I, I love kids, you don't own anything. You don't pay bills, you can barely think, right? We're here to help you grow into full human beings. How trans kids and their parents are creating a gender revolution. Travers is very open about it. We are thoughtfully, intentionally, year by year, through the schools, through the educational system at large, through policies and politics, creating a gender revolution revolution. Let me illustrate these three worldview aspects. So creation, according to the trans generation and this ideology. Here's what creation is. We are not, we are not sexed beings naturally. Sex or gender is not something inherent to being human. Let me quote here Ann Travers. The very, quote, fact of the two-sex system is ideological rather than a naturally occurring phenomenon. As a result, freedom is being able to have your own self-determination based on your beliefs or feelings to identify yourself. That's, that's creative. That's, that's the heart of what is good and right and unblemished. The fall, as they would explain it, in a worldview, um, is arbitrary gender expectation. Listen here. Arbitrary gender expectations for people expressed through different bathrooms, the way we dress, the pronouns we use, the microaggressions we use, whether we intend it or not to treat people of different genders differently, create suffering. Here's the fall. Create suffering in the lives of transgender and gender fluid people that contributes to the larger systems of oppression in the world in which we live. Travers goes on and says, it's not being transgender per se that increases the likelihood of self-harm and suicide among trans kids, but rather cultural and social prejudice that does the damage. So created fluid and free, then the fall, then the problem, the issue. The issue is cultural expectations. The issue is the, the wrong belief that we are actually gender binary, male and female created in two sexes. Solution or resolution to abolish gender expectations and norms and allow individuals to define themselves however they see fit. Trevor says, we should be working, listen to this, listen to this very carefully. If you've got children or grandchildren or you're an educator, you work with kids in church or in any other facet, we should be working toward a gender-inclusive school that forgoes the explicitly, that forgoes and explicitly counters the disabling force of binary gender systems, meaning the idea that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Also, parenting to enable self-determination should be a given. This is why the, the, the new thing among parents in this secular progressive world is to, is to not have gender assigned on the birth certificate at birth. Gonna let little Johnny or Susie decide what they wanna be at some point. It's a wild new world. Now, listen to this sentence. Feel free to laugh. I'm going to read it to you as it is. I didn't write it. Um, I may unpack it just a little bit for you though, but it's important that you understand this. The socially structured, heterosexual, cisgender, nuclear family, just think traditional family, mom, dad, kids. The socially constructed or structured, heterosexual, cisgender, nuclear family 
is a key ideological building block of the white supremacists and colonial capitalists, heteropatriarchal societies such as Canada and the U.S. Battling the nuclear family is tying it in with white supremacy, colonialism, capitalism, and patriarchal societies. They actually see themselves as part of a larger movement freeing people from sexism and racism and all these other oppressive systems of society, real or imagined. Now, I'm not dehumanizing them. They really do believe they're doing good. I just believe they're absolutely wrong, that they're out of line with God, with what God reveals in his word, and God, more than any of us, desires our good, desires human beings to thrive in accordance with how we've been created. But I want you to see that, that this uh, new sexual revolution is a piece of a much larger thing where they're co-opting institutions and language and historic racial issues and lumping it all together and pushing it forward. So how, how as God's people do we live in this moment? This is the question. Because the moment is here. And it's increasingly here. This is not the end. This is the beginning. How do we live in it? We've got some options. One is, is compromise, and we see that happening around the church. We see it happening at whole denominations, around the issue of, uh, of ordaining openly homosexual or, or transsexual or transgender men and women into ministry. We see denominations splitting. We see churches splitting. We see denominations declining rapidly over this. There's compromise. There's, well, I know what I believe, you know. Does it line up with Scripture? Uh, wherever Scripture lines up with me, there's a lot of that. A lot of that in the church. There's complacency, which is where I know a lot of us feel we want to be. Like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to talk about it. I get enough from my employer. I get enough from any of the shows I watch, even the commercials. I'm sick of it. But brother, sister, that's not a God-honoring place to be. We don't shrink back. We gird up with truth and love. There's combativeness. Combativeness? I think I added a T. There's combativeness, which happens when we don't spend enough time in God's Word to know what we believe and why. And the why is so important. To sell someone, Scripture says yes here and no here is not sufficient, but Why? What's God, what's God doing behind the scenes there? Combativeness dishonors God and dishonors those we're talking with. And it just legitimizes in their minds all that they believe is wrong with Christians and therefore Jesus. Or fourth, Christ-likeness. Obviously, Christ-likeness is what we're called to live out in this moment. Said I'd give you a few names and I'll, I'll say these more often, but God has indeed risen up some voices as guiding lights for us. And these are people that I, I would encourage you to, to read whatever they write, to search their names uh, in your iPod on your phone, your podcast section, wherever you get your podcasts from. Google their names and watch short little video clips of interviews with them. Um, and you'll see all of them, some of their books listed in the sermon notes section. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, we've been giving out her the Sacred Creed book for guests for a long time. Re Rebecca McLaughlin, plus she's British, so she's super fun to listen to. British-American now. Um, and interestingly enough, in, in God's providence, most of these individuals are primarily, primarily same-sex attracted, but they're living faithfully and fully for Christ. Some of them married because they're attracted enough to the other sex, to be able to fulfill the mandate for marriage to reflect God's relationship with his people and to do so joyfully. So it's just a, this beautiful thing that God's doing. Rachel McLaughlin, the very top of that list, um, Rebecca McLaughlin, I'm sorry, Rachel Gilson. Rachel Gilson um, wrote a great book called Born Again This Way. Sam Alberry, Sam Alberry, never experienced anything in his life, but 
uh, same-sex attraction and those inclinations, but has lived and is living faithfully for Christ, doing some of the best writing and ministering in this field. Uh, Christopher Yawn, Preston Sprinkle, rather unfortunate name, but he's doing great work, Preston Sprinkle. Um, You'll see those books down there. Lean into these people. So let me leave you with this. We live in this moment as people of truth, as people of truth who are willing to engage not just with our hearts, but again with our heads. We've lived long enough, particularly in the United States, in Protestant evangelical circles with this kind of um, childish anti-intellectualism. We need to rediscover our own story, the truth of the Scripture, in ways that are beneficial to those who are serious thinkers, asking serious questions, reminding ourselves that uh, it was the gospel itself behind the very um, concept of a university was the Christian faith. Universities like Harvard and Yale and Brown and Oxford and Cambridge were all founded as Christian universities to bring glory to God and further advance the fullness of the gospel behind hospitals, behind diversity movements, behind human rights, is the Christian faith. Jesus was the most diverse person ever to live. We see the first African convert in Acts before the Bible's even ended. And then we see Jesus command his followers to take this good news to the ends of the earth. Everybody. The idea that that Christianity is a, a Western white man's religion, Western white men were sort of late to the game. And you know who the the predominant, by average, predominant, most faithful majority Christian is in the world today, including in America, they are women of color. There are more women of color who are followers of Jesus in the world today than any other broken down demographic. And I think you could argue it has probably always been that way. Christianity is, despite what we feel, outcompeting both secularism and the theologically liberal faiths. We live as people of truth, holding on to it and trusting God, and we live as people of love. Let me finish with this as the band begins to make their way back out here and get set up, prepares to lead us in a time of response. People in the LGBT community, and let me just say this, it Getting ready to preach on this for four weeks, it takes a lot more energy to say LBGTQ+. So if you're sensitive around this issue, know that I'm not trying to be disrespectful by just saying LGBT, but when you've got to talk a lot, um, sometimes you're gonna have short, LGBT summarizes uh, this whole category. But people in the LGBT community, listen, they ought to find more love in the church, not less. They ought to be able to come in and say, this is what I'm struggling. Because the truth is, some of us in this room are struggling with this. Some of you in this room have struggled with this all your life and never, ever voiced it to anyone else. But brothers and sisters, we're all jacked up. We're all messed up, including messed up sexually to different degrees. The gospel is the answer to it all because in the gospel, God showed his love for all of who we are. Don't confuse, again, don't confuse the activists and the ideology with individual human beings who are struggling. Let me leave you with a word from 1 Peter chapter 2. Next week we'll begin to dive in more specifically and pointedly and, and with great focus to each of these issues, gender identity, um, uh, the nature and purpose of marriage, and human sexuality as a whole. Peter, with great honesty, reaching back to the Old Testament, the people of God, tells us who we are. First Peter 2 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't mention, don't, don't miss this. He didn't say, so that you may transform the culture around you. We will never do that. We will never do that. But what we are called to do is to be a counterculture for the common good, a place where God is pleased to bring in 
men and women far from him, who find to their astonishment more love in the church, not less, more diversity in the church, not less, more honesty and humility in the church, not less, more healing in the church and wholeness, not less. He says that, that we are God's people, his holy nation, his possession, in order to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Let me say this as straight as I can, church. It was only our disillusioned confusion that caused us in our nation to ever believe that we were anything in our culture but strangers and exiles. We're being reminded now that this is who we are. We are strangers and exiles. And as such, we will be understood that way and misunderstood. This is what it means to belong to Christ. And there is great power and purpose and beauty coming in the days ahead for the church of Jesus Christ here. We, we are addressing issues right now that we just haven't been forced to address theologically. And there's always transformation and healing and power when that comes. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Do you, hear, do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying, make war even on the desires. To abstain from sinful desires that, listen, that wage war against the soul. The gospel is good news because it helps me understand that not everything I feel is true. Feelings are not bad. Feelings are a gift from God. The book of Psalms, the, the, the entire book of Psalms is a beautiful testimony to the fact that we are emotional human beings. Feelings are good, but they're not trustworthy. That's why God also gave us minds and in his goodness gave us his word and gave us the truth that some of my feelings, some of my desires, though sincere, are actually sinful. And not only wage war against God, but wage war against my own soul. Seek if, if coddled and inflamed and lived out to actually destroy me. We've got to be people of truth and love. And that's all we have time for this morning. In just a second, I'm going to pray for us. While I do, our offering ushers are going to make their way to their positions. Um, we give back. <laughs> we give back so little as we receive offering to God who has given us so much. And I hope you understand that every call, every command to give, to be faithful to God, with what ultimately does not belong to us anyway, belongs to him, comes from the heart of God and flows to us because of what he wants for us, not from us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this room filled with men and women, students and children, God, I pray that we would receive both truth and love from one another. God, that we would understand and perceive when we're encountering both truth and love from you in Scripture. God, I lift up at this time as we prepare to receive offering, God, as an act of worship and a declaration of trust to you. God, if, if we can't trust you with something as small as our money, we certainly can't trust you with these larger issues of identity and sexuality. God, bless those who are about to give. Stretch it, multiply it, use it for your glory and your glory alone. 
I pray in your precious and good name. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us online at lnbc.us. Thanks for tuning in today.